Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we are continuing in our series, um, talking about um, the kind of pillars of our faith, things that we want to remember, and things that we not only want to remember, but we kind of want to consistently stir ourselves up by way of reminder. Like we want to remember these things, and we want to, these things to continue um, to keep us moving, if you will. And um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we've done Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, we've done um, the nature of the gospel, uh, the nature of the Bible, uh, several of those things. And so today we're taking on the doctrine of the church. What is this pillar of the doctrine of the church? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 in just a minute. Um, summary statement, as we've done, this stated doctrine goes something like this, that the church is the gathered uh, people of God um, who believe the gospel and together commit to follow him on his mission. Um, the church is together people of God who believe the gospel and together commit to follow Jesus um, on his mission. And so I just, uh, you've, if you've been around a bit, you've heard me talk about uh, the church that I grew up in. Uh, there are some funny stories that come out of that, that world and that life. Uh, and then there are some not so funny stories. But I just wanted to give you a picture of what this looks like. Uh, this is the church that I grew up in, more or less. Uh, there's some genuine, modif- I mean, there's some modifications that happen um, later. Uh, but this is First Baptist Huntsville. Uh, just, I mean, everything that you can imagine about First Baptist County seat. Town, right there it is right there all of that um, and so I just want and furthermore um, as a kid growing up and maybe this is true of me uh, excuse me only of me but I doubt it um, as a kid growing up when I thought about church do you know what I thought about literally that building right there that building and so I just I want to start by saying let's remind ourselves that church is not a building it's not that building. It was a nice building. Red shag carpet. Chandeliers that nobody could change the light bulbs in. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is who we were. Uh, pews. Don't tell anybody this, okay? But uh, I, my friend Bradley and I, uh, when we were little, we'd like bump down from the pew and like crawl under to somewhere else and pop up like it was whack-a-mole. And then our moms would be in the choir and they'd look down and go, you know, but I thought about the building. Some of you, when you think about church, you think about this structure. Let's just say one more time. Let's remind ourselves one more time. The church is not the building. We have a beautiful church. It has nothing to do with wood or lights. It's the work of Jesus in you. Second reminder, just briefly, uh, the the church is not an organization. I mean, there are some organized things to it. And for all you engineers in here, I just want you to know, like, there are some organized things to it. It makes your world better. I get it. But, 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 the church is the gathered people of God who believe the gospel and commit, present tense, today, commit together to follow Jesus on his mission. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to give you four words. I'm going to talk fast. Y'all listen fast. Good? Sheesh. Okay. This is not going well so far. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, this is verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. 
you know that when you were pagans, <laughs> can we just pause here and just rejoice in that? Like Paul's like, hey, you, you remember when you were pagans, right? I just, I just think that's funny. I mean, nobody said that to you this week. Here's Paul. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God said Jesus is accursed, except, uh, excuse me, is, uh, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. I just pause there because that'll cover our first two words and we'll move on from there. People. People's the first word. Uh, Note here um, that that specifically um, when we talk about the churches together, people, it's not an organization, not a building. He says here, you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. This this people who've been gathered by God and purchased by Jesus, there's been a shift in allegiance. Something has moved in their hearts. In 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, 9 and 10, Paul specifically says, you were following dead, lifeless idols, and you turned from them to the living and true God. There is a, a shift in allegiance. It's, it's why they, I, I just, I mean, in, in the Corinthian letter, multiple times, Paul uses the past tense to describe. He's not trying to dredge up old nasty stuff. He's just trying to remind him, hey, there was a life and you're not in it right now. You know that you were pagans. And you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. This shift in allegiance. Today, we are committed to follow him. And as a result of that, as a result of that shift, that work of God in our lives to change our hearts, to, to renew us on the inside, to transform us, as a result of that, there is a new person that is born. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the person occupying your seat right now, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have put your trust in him, experienced him for who he is, you are sitting in the seat of a new person. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe the gospel, commit to following him on his mission. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The person in your seat is a new person. And furthermore, it's not just a new person, but collectively we are a new people. The gospel does both. There's an individual part of, in an individual part of that, that says you yourself individually can be transformed and should be transformed by the power of Jesus. And we collectively, we together, we corporately are transformed in the same way who com- who together commit to follow Jesus on his mission. They, they were pagans. But now, they're not. This means two things, just very practically. One, they experience forgiveness. Part of the good news of Jesus is, you, though a pagan, though a sinner, though committed to the wrong things, you, though um, ha- having shifted your allegiance onto things that are not worthy of your allegiance, though you have lived that way and have suffered the consequences of it and all the carnage that comes with it, though you are that, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. We experience forgiveness. And, and therefore, we are a people who also forgive. The church is the place where forgiveness is kind of our thing. It was birthed, the church was birthed in forgiveness. So it's kind of our deal. So we not only forgive, 
Excuse me, we are not only forgiven, but we also forgive. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. 15-second parentheses. Forgiveness and trust are two different things, okay? We're not asking anybody to step back into some crazy toxic relationship that will put them in bad places. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is a gift. Trust is a commodity. One is given, one is earned. Parentheses over. Okay. Experience forgiveness. Secondly, we also experience freedom. We, the people of God. So um, we live according to the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to live the life, experience the power, and live the life that um, he died so that you could live. We don't have to just experience forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for washing me clean. We don't have to just hold on until heaven. We can live in the life, live the life that Jesus wants us to live. We can experience freedom. And because we experience freedom, we live differently. The, the, the cycles that trap so many, the spirals even, that trap so many in our world, they don't have to be our story. They don't have to be our story. When we confessed a while ago, we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. Holy, this is the holy part. We're different. What that means is our past sins do not have the final word about our future. One more time. Our past sins do not have the final word about our future. Are we perfect? Come on, people. Just look down your row. <laughs> the Corinthians weren't either. I mean, the Corinthians, this letter, that's some jacked up stuff in there, man. Crazy stuff. They were suing one another, fighting over food, had a guy sleeping with his stepmom. I mean, this is messed up, this place. Their past sins do not define... Um, their future. We are committed to the gospel and we are committed to following Jesus. Second word, confession. Look at verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Uh, again, here we are. This is one of those messed up places. Uh, people sneak into um, religious environments, church environments to take advantage of things that um, should, ought not be. And uh, in particular Corinth here, apparently somebody was sneaking in and going, yeah, you know, that Jesus guy, he was all right, but psh, I mean, he's not the real thing. No one can say Jesus is, uh, no one speaking in the spirit of God can say Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So I'll just tell you two things real quick. Uh, confession. Um, the Holy Spirit is, what, is, is who reveals this to us. Our confession comes from um, the spirit of God at work in our lives. It is clear in its content and we are not making it up as we go. We have a faith that's been passed down for us to live in. Um, Jesus one time is talking to his disciples and he's like, hey, let's, let's put a poll out and just see, uh, who do people say that I am? They're like, eh, a prophet or John the Baptist kind of reincarnated or something, I don't know. And then, uh, Jesus is like, okay, noted. Thank you for all that data. Appreciate that. Um, but, but, and this is where it always comes down. But, but who do you, who do you say that I am? It always comes down to that. Peter pipes up because he's always, I mean, he was always the guy who spoke first. Peter pipes up, 
you are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of God. Jesus is like, yep. You didn't get that by creating it, Peter. It had to be revealed to you. This is what the Spirit does. He reveals this to us. And what is this particular confession? It's right there um, in verse 3. Um, Jesus is Lord. It has been the universal confession of the church for a couple of millennia now. I mean, from day one to today. It has spanned 2,000-ish years to say Jesus is Lord. Um, it, that, that is the universal confession. When we say we believe in one holy Catholic, that word Catholic is the word for universal. This is the confession. So from the first day until um, today, Jesus' Lord has been the confession. And um, it is, so it's the confession of the global church. It's the confession of each individual local church. And furthermore, um, where there are confessing believers, people who have committed their lives to the gospel and to following Jesus in Australia, guess what? Their confession is Jesus is Lord. And where the, the brothers and sisters are in Asia, their confession is Jesus is Lord. And in Africa, you know what their confession is? Jesus is Lord. And, and in Europe, Jesus is Lord. And South America, Jesus is Lord. And in North America, Jesus is Lord. And if they're worshiping today on Antarctica, I don't know if they are or not. It's fine. Don't send me any emails going, here, look, here's proof. I don't know. I'm just saying, if there's a church there today worshiping, guess what? Their confession is Jesus is Lord. It spans time and geography. We are a part of something. We're a part of something. Not just the verbalization but a genuine agreement, not just an assent, but a declaration. Because if you're a first century Roman uh, empire citizen and you say Jesus is Lord, you know what you're also saying? Caesar is not. I mean, he's important. He runs a show. He ain't in charge. At some point, that costs Christians something. Church family, at some point, saying Jesus is Lord will cost you something too. Two things on this, just real practical. Number one, that means that our yes is on the table. If this is our confession, that our yes is on the table. Jesus, here's my blank check. My signature's at the bottom. You fill in the amount, whatever that looks like. And, and we've done that. So, so hear me say, like, let's continue to be those people. Our yes is on the table. And secondly, um, our lives are in alignment with that yes. And where we stick it in the ditch, where we foul up, where we turn left instead of right, whatever it may be, whenever our lives are out of alignment, golly, this thing feels like, feels like it's pulling to the right. We then rearrange the affairs of our life to bring things back into alignment. That's the Bible word repentance. Our lives are in alignment. Third, um, mission. Look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. The varieties of activities. It is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So I, I, 
like, we have been working hard on this doctrine stuff. It's been really good. We've had some great conversations, not only between uh, staff members uh, and, and, and church members, but just broadly in the church. There's been great conversations in small groups and Sunday schools, all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Here's the thing. Please hear me say it is correct doctrine. This, this thing that we've been working hard on, correct doctrine fuels, if you will, it compels us. It, it moved us out on mission. Correct doctrine moves us outward to mission. There are multiple ways to prove this, but just look back here. Like there's a variety of gifts. They're the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities. This is all about mission. This is all about doing the things that Jesus wants us uh, to be a part of. And he says in verse seven, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Like we need to be doing stuff. There's stuff to, to do. Or if to say it a different way, um, uh, because he is Lord, we join him on his mission. Or to take a biblical example, Peter, John, James, Andrew, they're fishing. Jesus rolls up on him. It's like, hey, fellas, how's it going today? I tell you what, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You know that verse? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So they left their nets and they followed him. And, and when Peter, James, John, Andrew, when they followed, Jesus was going to fulfill his promise. They were fishermen. Follow me and I will make you, say it with me, this fishers of men. Say it one more time. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so here's the question. If they're not becoming fishers of men, are they really following? Doctrine Correct doctrine isn't for a library shelf, folks. It's for living out in the world. It compels us into mission. If you've been around Heritage Park, you know um, uh, this, this pyramid. You've seen it. We put it up probably six times a year. And I just want to say it again. Uh, here we are. The baseline expectation of everybody within our church family is that we would be a part of a culture of invitation. You can do this in 10 seconds at the checkout at your favorite grocery store or anywhere else. Hey, it's so good to see you. Do you go to church anywhere regularly? I don't want to offend you with that question, but do you go to church anywhere regularly? It's always the regularly part that catches them because they're like, oh yeah, I go to, oh no, I don't. Never mind. And then I always follow with the same joke. I mean, come on. Look, kids' programs are awesome. Come join us at Heritage Park. We'd love to have you. Kids' programs are amazing. Like all this student stuff is cool. Music's good, preaching. Eh. I mean, but they deal with this and that kind of thing. Right, same joke. Some of you are smiling right now because you knew it was coming. It's the same joke every time. But we get to be a part of that. And church family, we get to be a part of that. And those invitations lead to opportunities. And that second tier is we get an opportunity to tell our story. We get an opportunity to say, hey, this is how God has moved in me. This is how he has changed me. This is how he has freed me. This is how he has forgiven me. This is how he has sustained me. Anybody seen the sustaining work of God in their life over the past two or three years? Me too. Me too. Me too. Out of the mouth of babes. And those opportunities that we take, invitation leads to opportunity. An opportunity opens the door for us to connect our story 
to the story, the story that he's telling, the story of the gospel, that Jesus has come to die for our sins and rise from the dead in order to give us new life. And so we get an opportunity to share the gospel. Like this thing that happened earlier, a dad baptizing his son, you know why that happens? Not because of me. Not, I mean, let's be honest. Some of us got to be a part of this, but we were really bystanders because Jesus was doing the work. He's doing the work. We get to be a part of this. Doctrine propels us in a mission. Uh, Secondly, it is both gospel and good works. It's both of those things. It's not one or the other. It's both. Okay? So we do good things because God's given us those things to do. And when he says in verse 7, this is given for the common good, like we should be doing good in the world. But we're also people who speak the gospel because this is our story. We Stories are only stories when they get told. So this is our opportunity to tell the story. And so it looks something like this. They feed one another in this wonderful and amazing cycle. No matter where you jump in, the gospel feeds good works and good works feed the gospel. And we don't want to be people who are hypocrites who say one thing. Thing, but we don't do anything about it. If we unhitch good works from the gospel, we are prone to hypocrisy. And if we unhitch the gospel from good works, we become mute Christians. Our God is a speaking God. He created and he recreated with the word. So we don't unhitch it. They feed one another. It's gospel and good works, not one, uh, not one or the other. And, and the, the, we, we are not um, voiceless, nor are we hypocrites. And the last thing is that on this idea of mission, everybody rose. Everybody. Church is not a spectator sport. These are not seats for tickets that you bought. Everyone rose. And I'll just give you uh, this picture. Can we just put this picture in our minds? Okay. This is church right here. Now, for all you engineers and math nerds in here, physics people galore, you ready? If only the people on the left side were rowing, okay? There would be two things that would be true. Number one, you would have some really tired people on one side, yeah? Is that fair? And two, what would happen? You would just go in a circle. You would never get to where you actually need to be. And the people who are rowing would be mad about it the whole time. Everybody rows. Verse 7, to each, to each, to each. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's you, to each single person. We are only the church that we need to be when everybody rose. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, says he's given um, uh, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers for uh, the equipping of the saints. That's you, for the work of ministry. Who does the work of ministry? The saints do. You do until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So 
Like you get into conversations and environments and places and dinner tables and, and lunch moments and coffee breaks and all this. You get into, you get into ball games and bleacher conversation. You get into all of this kind of stuff in ways that I, certainly me, could never do that. And in ways that people sitting on your row would never. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone rose. Okay, last thing. Power. Last word's power. So verse 6, varieties of activities, it's the same God who empowers, there it is, empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the spirit of utterance for wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, he's starting to list some of these spiritual gifts. Uh, To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to to, uh, distinguish or discern between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these, verse 11, all these are empowered. Do you see that word again? Empowered. By one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Power. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, he gifts us with what we need in order to accomplish what he wants. This is what he's talking about here. This is what he's rattling off. He's saying, hey, we're on board here. Everybody's on board here individually. You have parts to play. Collectively, we have something that he wants done. And so we're going to do this. This does not mean that we do this in our own abilities. This is not that. In our own abilities... Uh, These are not capacities, if you will, that we kind of naturally have, and God just somehow supercharges them. Not that. We will not have every gift, and we will not all have the same gift. That works really well, by the way, when we don't all get to do the same thing. But the gifts that you need, when you need them, for the extension of the kingdom, will be provided. Do you believe that? This section over here. The gifts that you need, when you need them, for the extension of the kingdom, will be provided. Do you believe that? Yeah. So it's important to say here that this this cannot be managed, purchased, replicated by method. People who try to do that in the New Testament did not turn out for them. Um, This is not just something we're going to just make happen. I mean, uh, how many of you have heard, uh, maybe you picked up on this week, uh, apparently by all accounts, there's a revival going on at Asbury University up in the little town in Kentucky. Yeah, up to speed on this. Among the Methodists of all things, can you imagine? This is crazy. It's just joking. It's joking. Jokes. We, I, I'm praying for them. And I, I, more than once this week, I just want you to know, I, I walked in about where Miss Donna's sitting right there. And I stood in this room and I said, God, do something here. It doesn't have to look like that. But here. And let it start here. This is not about our abilities. We're not trying to generate in our own strength, what God is doing elsewhere. This is about us just saying, God, we depend on you. Not our own ability. Secondly, I'm not our own strength here. Not our own strength. We do act. We do participate. And frankly, at times we suffer because Jesus is Lord. But we never have to do any of this 
in our own strength. Because, why? The, the, the gifts are not designed to make me look good. The gifts are designed to make him look good. Last thing I'll say on this, just quickly. It's important to say out loud then that the gifts are not marks of maturity. They're tools for ministry. You don't measure maturity by what you can accomplish. You measure by character. So, Um, I'll give you three words to think about. These three words. One, humility. God, this is not about me, you, us, them, whatever. It's about you. Secondly, dependence. I will not accomplish this on my own. I could not accomplish this on my own. And third, confidence. But what you want me to accomplish, you're going to help me do. That's faith right there. God, it's not me. And I am fully capable of really messing things up. So I'm going to continue to be dependent upon you. But I also know that there is confidence. The only question in that moment right there is, will you be faithful with the opportunity you have? Paul, earlier in the letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look here at this verse. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That word steward, uh, modern parlance would be something like a waiter at a restaurant. Hope that wasn't me. A waiter at a restaurant. Making sure that what? Making sure that the food gets from the kitchen to where it needs to go as faithful as possible. Moreover, it is required of stewards stewards, that they be found what? Faithful. Faithful. Not sloshing it around. Not stumbling it and dropping it. Not missing an opportunity to get it to the table. God's given us something, church family. The question is, will we be faithful? 1954, January 1954, the 27th, I believe. Um, the church building that I grew up attending caught on fire. This is actually an actual picture of it from the East Texas Historical Society. Killed a college student who was there doing some maintenance and would try to put out the fire. Killed him ultimately. That kind of thing. And uh, it, got, it got worse from there. This is fairly early, but it got a lot worse from there. But you know what stayed? Those pillars, those columns out front stayed and helped the building from continuing to, to fall. The pillars are what kept the building standing. The pillars are what helped the church building deal with the fire. You see the punchline coming? These pillars are what will see the church through whatever fire does come. The question is, will we be found faithful? We're going to do something a little bit different, and I'm telling you now so that you understand. Um, Normally when we have this moment, we just... If you want to go to the back and pray, feel free to do so. We're not going to go to the back. We're going to come to the front. And just ask you, if you need to say something to the Lord or you, the Lord has said something to you, we'll give you an opportunity to stand here just a moment and just come forward. Just come, kneel, sit, stand. Just make this place an altar, just like we do when we pray. Nothing super spiritual about this place. It's carpet and plywood. 
But this is an opportunity for us to say, God, we, the people, are standing today because you've held us up. And whatever you want to do, do it in here. Let it start in this little area right here, this little portion of of the world that I'm saying, let it start right here and let it start with me. We're not trying to manipulate anything, I promise. We're not trying to recreate, that's not our heart at all. We just want to give you an opportunity to say, God has spoken. And if you need to respond, this is that moment. So I'm going to start us with prayer. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand where you are. And if you want to um, come forward, you can even come forward right now if you'd like. Frank's going to lead us in a song that's really a prayer. And uh, I want to invite you, if, if that's what you want, you just make your way forward and let me pray now. Uh, Jesus, what you've started in individuals, um, what you've started in families, Uh, what you started at universities in Kentucky. For all of these things, we're so grateful. The question on the table for us is will we be faithful? It is required of stewards that we be found faithful. So God, for my part, I pray and do it in me. And may I be faithful with it. Whatever that looks like. Whatever it means. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. But let it start right here in me. Let my life be reflective of this word that Jesus is Lord. Thanks for the gathering of the church this morning. Do what you want to do, Spirit of God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen, amen.